0: I'll just, I'll just tell, oh, I forgot, I almost forgot this. This is something I was told to do when I came up here, or asked to do, sorry, not told. Uh, and I didn't forget, Dory, aren't you happy? I'm, I'm to take pictures of you all, so I'll give you just a second to prep and, and prepare. Are you all ready? How, how's this, Dory? Am I doing all right? Okay. There we go. All right. All right. How'd I do? Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me just say this. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Resurrection Day. Absolutely. Uh, I actually said it to the group that was here last Sunday. And, and I, I made the, the the mention that, man, it's what we do every Sunday. We, we celebrate the significant resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. And it is significant. It's not, a, it's not even a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. If you're in Christ it's an everyday thing. We celebrate the fact that our Savior lives. Right? right, Amen. Amen. Now, I would like to to talk more about the the resurrection, although a while back I chose to go through the book of Malachi. We're actually going to finish that up. That's Old Testament. And in in this passage, the door is going to be opened up for us to again talk about the resurrection. So, don't, don't, don't fret uh, as, as I introduce this to you, but, but the book of Malachi, are you familiar with it? The book of Malachi is the, the final book in the Old Testament, and the significance of it, God delivers his message to, to this Malachi to deliver to his people, and it is the final word before Jesus comes. It's the final message from God to his people before the coming of Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. And, and, and there's quite a bit of time in between, you know, from the last word of uh, of God through his prophet to to uh, when Jesus is born, okay? So it's like four hundred years. But I think there's some real significant things that's happening in this book of Malachi. Let me take you through just a, a quick review of what we've been seeing in the past few weeks. This book of Malachi actually comes about, After the return of those who were held in captivity. It it was God's people held in captivity in Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls have come down. Many of the people uh, have have been killed. Those who who survived are taken into captivity into Babylon. They're returned. After, After like 80 years, they're returned back to this area of Judah. And, and uh, by the time Malachi is written, the walls are rebuilt through lo- lots of difficulties. Uh, the temple has been rebuilt. And, and this is a people that has returned. I would say it is not in the same condition. It's not the same glory as what was there, say, in the time of David or in the time of Solomon. Uh, it, it is, but it's, it is now uh, a very positive thing to say that the walls are rebuilt the temple is rebuilt, and the people, the people are being ah, taught. The be, people are being instructed, and matter of fact, they're being confronted in Malachi for having a bad attitude towards God. That's what we've seen anyway. Here's here's the bad attitude, and walking through uh, this book of Malachi, the first thing that was actually said in Malachi is, "Hey, God has loved you. God has loved Israel." And their response is, well, how has God loved us? How has God has loved us? And then throughout, there's these condemning statements throughout Malachi. Number one was, you have, been, uh, you have shown contempt for God. You have shown contempt for God. You have wearied God with your words. Matter of fact, we dealt with that last week. You have wearied God with your words. And, and you have robbed God. That's another statement we, we haven't covered. I will say for us, we're going to go through that next week, but we jump forward for this, especially for this day. You have have robbed God. And, And the final one, before the text that we're looking at today, says you have spoken arrogantly against God. You have spoken arrogantly against God. Now the way that Malachi puts this down, uh, the the way he writes this in his book is every time he brings up the, the condemnation, uh, there is this expression of doubt coming from the people, because he responds in his own writing by saying, "How have we, uh, how, how have we, how have we uh, 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 shown you contempt?" How have we done that? Well, it's, it's because you have offered up a bunch of defiled sacrifices, lame, sickly animals. That's what you brought. Uh, how have we wearied you, God, with our words? Well, you, you claim that God is not going to bring about his justice, so, and that's not true. And, and Well, how have we robbed you, God? Well, you haven't brought your offerings to the temple. And, and how have we spoken arrogantly against you, God? How have we spoken arrogantly against you? Well, you've been saying as a people that it is it is uh, uh, not worth uh, serving God. It it is actually uh, futile. It's futile to serve God, and that's what you're saying. In this, in this, uh, especially the, the the couple of statements that are coming from the people is that well, God is not a just God. God is not just God, and, and listen, it is futile to worship Him. It is futile to serve God. In, in those words that's coming from His people, He especially speaks what we're going to be reading today, which is in Malachi chapter 3. If you have your Bibles Mal, or your devices, Malachi 3, beginning verse 17, we're going to actually read 17 and then go into chapter 4 and read the first three verses of chapter 4. And In the time we have, we're going to, we're going to look over these, these verses Because I I believe it's in these verses that God is addressing their attitude and the things that they're stating, the things about God's justice, the things about that it's futile to worship God. And and so here's here's the response, beginning in verse 17. And and I begin here because it it starts with this, "On on, on the day when I act, on the day when I act, and in and, and speaking that and, and, and thinking about that, matter of fact, we read chapter 4, verse 1 last week, and it was that judgment. We, we talked about judgment, that there is this great day of judgment. If you were with us a few weeks back, we were in Zephaniah, and Zephaniah talked about the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? That is that day, our understanding, when, when God pulls the plug on time, says, That's it. And it's a time for judgment. That's when Jesus would be preaching. He talked about the separating of the sheep and the goats. It's also seen in the book of Revelation. But here in Malachi, it is the separating of the good and the evil. The separating of the good and the evil. That great day of judgment. So let me continue on in 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Then chapter 4 verse 1, surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, all the arrogant And every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I, I'm just going to bring this up. That, that day of the Lord. On the day that I will act is what, how he begins. And in that verse 1, this is what we expect, especially when we say that, that judgment takes place between the good and the, the evil. It is the day that judgment is going to be given or the the, uh, punishment to all the evildoers, to all those. Actually, it says within chapter 4, verse 1, the arrogant and evildoers. We're familiar with those people, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, They're the murderers, the the thieves, the arrogant. Uh, They're they're the... uh, uh, the ones who, who speak falsely, the, you know, they're liars. There's, Oh, man, we're included in a lot, of, a lot of what I'm just saying, right? But evildoers and those who are arrogant. We can look back in Malachi and see the arrogant. They, they're the ones who speak on God's behalf. They're the ones who are going to say, well, God is not a God of justice. They're also the ones who say, hey, listen, it is just futile to serve God. There's a lot of arrogant speak amongst the people that Malachi is addressing. Here in this passage, the arrogant are those who also say there is no God. There is no God. So there is, on that day when, when you know, evil, the evildoers and the arrogant face judgment, punishment is given. The good on the other hand, the good on the other hand, uh, who, who are they? Throughout Malachi, it's been speaking to people with hearts of stone or, uh, yeah, heart uh, Hearts that are that that are, what well, what is the theme? Our hearts of stone. Yeah, hearts of stone has been our theme throughout Malachi. Uh, that's not the people of God. The people of God are going to have hearts that are directed towards God. And and really today, I want to focus our attention. I'm not going to speak a lot about uh, the the condemnation, the punishment that's coming. Be aware of that. That's in the passage. But I believe the the focus and intent was to show that God is going to act on his justice. He is going to act on his justice. There is going to be a separation. There is going to be a punishment for those who are not going to be a part. The wicked, those who go their own direction. And and there is going to be a continued into eternity for the good. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. Here it is. Um, uh, the, The fact that. Those who belong to God, those who have hearts for God, have a future with God. That's that's the focus I have for you this morning. So who are they? I I just want to talk about their identity that's laid out in these verses. Uh, First of all, they are the saved in the midst of his coming judgment. They're the ones who's not going to face his punishment. I I want to identify those people and, and, and be just real clear on how Malachi addresses it this morning. In verse 17, they are God's treasured possession. I love that. I love that. They are identified as God's treasured possession. They're the ones who are not going to face the punishment uh, of hell, the, the, the fire, the, the burning. But, but they're going to be saved from that. Uh, in verse 16, well, well, matter of fact, in 17, we say, well, who are those people? How do we describe those people? If you look back in verse 16, these, these people are going to be recorded in a book. And those who record in the book are going to be those who have feared God and those who have honored him. those who have feared God and those who are honored God. So who is, who is this treasured position? People who have feared God and and look to honor him. Now let's talk about fear. What does it mean to fear God? It's probably easier. Uh, to, to explain when we think about this, last week, some of you had to write big checks and send it to the government. Am I right? Some of you did. Some of you, oh joy, I'm going to get something back. But, but I know what it's like at the end. You know, in, in my life, I had a few times where I can't believe I have to pay that. And I had to sit down and write a check to, so I, it's in by April 15th. Are, are you with me? But what if... What if you say just this one time, you're sitting there, and you're looking at that big old check, and you're saying, listen, I have better things I could do with that than give it to Uncle Sam. Anybody do that? No, you don't have to, you don't have to confess here. Anyway, the, the thing is, is, okay, I tell you what, I, I, I know some things I can. spend. I'm just not going to send it this year. I'm not going to send it this year. I'm just going to go ahead and spend it on some things that I really need and not send it. How, how do you sleep at night? Right? Because uh, there's one one thing that you're going to be heavy upon you is what? They're, they're going to let you know that you owe them. Isn't that right? They're going to come to you and they're going to say, Hey, we missed your check. You know? <laughs> they're not going to sit dormant. They're going to come after you because you failed to pay what you is rightfully theirs. You know what, what was due to them. I think that reason that you sent the check in this week is is a good idea that or to, to say that that 's fear working in you the The people that that Malachi is addressing is people who fear God they have a fear of God they 're attentive to him they live in a sense of caution because he is a holy and righteous God who created and guess what He is powerful he 's powerful, so they have within them working this This life of caution, this life of attention to a great and mighty God. And and let me tell you what, as Malachi is writing, there are a minority, I would believe it's a minority of the people who do fear God and look to honor Him. So even as Malachi is writing this out, and and, and I tell you what, what's important in, in this is to remind you that God is acting. That's one of the problems that the people of Israel are having. Uh, Maybe they're thinking that the progress of building the wall and the temple doesn't look like it used to be, and, and maybe it's because there's still some enemies around. They're thinking, where is God? Why isn't he working? While those who are faithful are saying, God is good. We've been returned to Jerusalem. There's a temple. We have the opportunity to worship him again. There's a difference in attitudes. And those who fear God... Are, are, are looking at what Malachi is saying. And, and, and I think they're attentive to what God says. Here's something that, uh, that we need to know. God is acting today. God, God is active today. And in and one of the greatest ways that God has acted as he has spoken. He, he, is, he has given to us a message that we need to listen to. He absolutely gave a message through this letter to, uh, from Malachi to the people. They had an opportunity to respond. You know, you you listen to Jesus speak, and every once in a while he threw in this for those who have ears to hear, let him listen. One of our greatest responses is to do what? Listen. (laughs) It is to absolutely listen to what he is saying. What What has he said to us? That's why we value the scriptures, because it is God's message to you and I. And, and to those, uh, uh, those people he, he was addressing, they would be attentive to his words. And they, you know, at one time he was saying, hey, the, the sacrifices are, are, you're giving, they're, they're worthless. You're giving the worst to God. And so they would go back and say, God, are, what is what we're giving? They would consider, are, are we doing that? Or, or are we being faithful in marriage, is another part? Or, or are we speaking against God? They, they would be the kind who humbly are examining themselves and saying, God, are we disappointing you in any way? And if there is, there would be repentance. Matter of fact, they would follow through with a passage out of Psalms written from David that, that says, see if there be any wicked way with me, any any sinfulness in me. There, there's always that awareness, that sense of caution for someone who has that fear of God. The phrase that follows after Uh, The statement about they will be my treasured people says this. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. I I don't want you to miss this. Matter of fact, the the Hebrew word for this is is in, in the English in this translation is used two words. Again, it's translated into two words. One Hebrew word translated into two English words. Compassion and spare, compassion and spare in that sentence is just one word and and but you see how compassion and sparing could be uh, you know, spoken at the same context within the same context that God revealed his compassion by doing what in the fact that he spared he spared who well his chosen uh, his chosen possession, his treasured possession he spared. Why does he say it that way? Why does he say that he's spared? Because the truth is, and we know this out of the New Testament, is that all of us deserve chapter 4, verse 1. Did you catch that? Because all of us should should understand that we live, that our existence is within the context and deserving of chapter 4, verse 1. We deserve the furnace. We deserve the furnace. We, we deserve to be annihilated. And yet God, why do we celebrate God so much? Because of his mercy and of his grace. It's absolutely found in this verse in the fact that he chooses uh, to have compassion. In the fact that he spares. He's chosen a people to, be, to, to spare from chapter 4, verse 1. And they are identified again as God's treasured possession. Those who fear God. And those who uh, seek to honor him. Verse, in verse 18, I think it's, it's significant as well to look here. Because here's the dividing. It lays it out. Here's, here's more of the dividing. And in the dividing, it also gives us more definition of the identity of his treasured possession. Listen to what it says. It says, and you will again see the distinction. You're going to see the The division. That was important for this people in in Malachi because they said, hey, there's no justice. You're not dealing with those who are wicked. And and they got to be careful with what they're asking for. You know, hey, go get our enemies, they thought. But they themselves were included in the wickedness. So be careful about asking for God's justice, right? We need to look here before we're ready for God's justice. Anyway, he, he, he does another dividing line. He says, again, you will see the distinction between the righteous, those who are good, the righteous, and the wicked, between those who, who serve God and those who do not. There's a disti- distinction there. Okay, those that are, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, what are they? They're wicked, and they do not serve God. But on the righteous side, those who fear God, those who seek to honor Him, Well, they are identified as righteous. They are also identified as those who serve God. Well, in in the Old Testament, that obedience uh, is seen as as righteous. Those those people who follow through with what God says, they're seen as being obedient. And and that idea of serving God uh, throughout Malachi is, is that giving up sacrifices, Bringing sacrifices before God that's acceptable. Uh, also, the fact that you stay, you know, that, that you're faithful in your marriage and, and you're speaking well of God. That's seen as the, maybe the items of righteousness throughout Malachi. Now, now, you and I, we have the opportunity to be a part of a different covenant, a, a new covenant. And, and uh, it, it's not based upon the things of the law. All the law, all the law that God had laid out. You know, the Ten Commandments along with everything else we see in Leviticus. There's a lot of details there about how to act, how to celebrate, how to, how to live our lives. But no longer, that's, that's been changed. Matter of fact, when Jesus came, he fulfilled all that law. He, fu- he completed it. Now we live under the grace and mercy of Jesus, which we already see in this passage. We, we live under the grace and mercy that God has given us through Jesus Christ. But, but what, it, what difference is there? In John 3.16 it says, hey, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will, have, uh, will, will not perish but have everlasting life. Correct? Did I quote that well? I think I nailed it. okay. <laughs> But here, here's, here's the, the word that we, we embrace in there, whoever believes. Well, what does it mean to believe? Uh, in my own thing, I go back to Malachi and say, well, what difference does a believer have in someone who, is, who has a fear, a healthy fear and reverence for God? Nothing. They're going to be a believer. Those, those who fear God, those who want to honor God. And, and guess what? Through that acceptance, that that receiving Jesus as Savior, He is is the one who brings us to righteousness. Jesus was righteous in the way He lived His life. Jesus committed no sin. He he lived His life well. Therefore, our our believing is found in our righteousness. The fact that we believe and are dependent upon Jesus also, That that idea of serving God, what is that? What is that in the New Testament? Well, it's laid out all throughout, but I I believe it's in these words that when Jesus uh, called his disciples, he said, to follow me. Our response, our our beginnings is to believe in Jesus, but our lives are ones of commitment and following after the very words and life of Jesus itself. That's who we are. I I believe God-fearing god fearing seeking to be honoring of God and, and righteous righteous in the fact that we believe and, and accept and receive the Savior for which God had sent and, and follow after him. And that, that, is our, that is our pursuit. That is our, that's where we find ourselves in serving him, learning, growing, becoming God's people. There is a second, uh, second point I like to make this morning. I find it in this chapter 4. After verse 1, of all the destruction and the and and, and uh, of those who are who are without God, uh, but in in verse in chapter four, uh, this this God's treasured possession, they will receive God's complete healing. That's that's another part of the identity, uh, God's treasured possession. They are going to receive God's complete healing. Uh, especially look at verse two, out of these verses, verse two begins with this it says but for you who revere my name for those of you who respect my name for those who seek to honor those who are your god-fearing same people god's god's treasured possession for you who revere my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays the son of righteousness the son of righteousness we're talking about Jesus The only only way we could identify this son of righteousness that's yet to come, who's going to bring healing, is Jesus. We look through other prophecies and identify each part of that as belonging to Jesus. In in Jeremiah 23, 6, it identifies that this coming Messiah is is going to be the righteous Savior, identifies him as that righteousness. In Isaiah 60, verse 1, it identifies or tells the people as a Messiah comes. Uh, in, in that verse, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Even better yet, it's when Jesus was born. Luke chapter 1, 78, 79, or even prior to Jesus being born, it was it was a prophecy from Zechariah after John the Baptist was born. In that content, he was giving praise to God for, for, for the gift of a son and, and the identity of a son. Here comes the one who is going to... Uh, Uh, make way the path uh, of the lord here he is here, here he comes and and then the fact that jesus is coming he wrote uh in in that or he spoke in this he said the tender mercy of our god by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the into the path of peace Here's what God has done. Here's what God is sending into the world in Jesus. That's what Zechariah is talking about. And he is that rising sun to come. This Jesus fulfills a prophecy. Perhaps we could even consider this the final prophecy before the 400 years of silence. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus, we have the gospels. We could identify clearly that he's come. What about this, that he brings healing in his well, the NIV says rays. I think they're trying to, to match sun with, you know, instead of wings, what wings does the sun, sun have except, oh, well, it's rays. But the, in translation, it says sun with healing in its wings. And, and it gives you that perspective of, of a bird that's soaring, its wings are wide open. And, and it, it is that, that exactly what Jesus did. He came and he healed and it was opened. And and we know of his healings. I mean, he healed the blind, right? He healed the blind people who've never been able to see before were able to see because they met Jesus. There were people who weren't able to walk who were able to walk again. People who were diseased with leprosy who were healed. Wouldn't you love to be there to see some of that? I mean, you 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 could see and identify someone who's leprous. It it, it was it was filthy. It was. Uh, open sores and and disgusting, but I believe when Jesus healed, they were completely restored, and you could see it. It was significant, but Jesus didn't come for physical healing. I believe it's uh, one of the one of the indications was when he healed the paralytic through the roof. You remember that story, and and I, I believe it was Luke uh, Luke chapter tw- Luke chapter five, where he tells a story about uh, some friends of a paralytic who who brought their friend to be healed by Jesus. Uh, The news had spread by this time. And and so they brought their friend to be healed by Jesus, but there was such a crowd that was gathered there that they went up on the roof. The only way they could get their friend to him was to tear a hole in someone's, I don't know whose roof it was. They tore a hole in the roof and and let their friend down, the paralytic on a mat, down there in the presence of Jesus. And and Jesus went up to him and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And, and the, the truth is, is around him, and, and within the crowd were a bunch of religious leaders, self-righteous leaders. And they heard what he had to say, and Jesus knew it. He, and he spoke those words, uh, friend, your sins are forgiven, for a reason. And in Luke, in, in verse 23 of Luke 5, he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. When we see the Son of Righteousness has come with healing in his, in his wings, what is He saying? What healing is He bringing? Except for the greatest, uh, the greatest sickness, the greatest ailment that humanity has is their sinfulness that has separated us from our God. Again, going back to think about, there's a reason why he says, I'm going to spare my treasured possession. I'm going to have compassion upon them. They needed saving. They needed rescue. They needed his compassion. How has God revealed his compassion to you and I today, except for the fact that he sent Jesus into this world? His only son. That you won't face the punishment that we all deserve, that you deserve, for your sinfulness. But God has provided a Savior in Jesus. Oh man, if, if you know anything this morning, I want you to be confident in, in knowing this. The reason came, the sickness he came to heal, is your sinfulness. Oh, there, there are cancers, there are there are all kinds of sicknesses, and we pray for God's healing today, but... but The reason Jesus came is to heal your sinfulness. He came to heal your sinfulness, uh, to help you to be reunited with God who loves you in order for you to become his treasured possession. It's good to be identified as God's treasured possession, isn't it? Absolutely. Matter of fact, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are his treasured possession. You know how I could tell? Because Jesus died for you he died for you. He came for you. Listen, Jesus went to the cross for that reason. That's the reason why we celebrate the cross is because it's upon the cross, his broken body, his spilt blood was shed on your behalf. He paid the cost of your sinfulness. He paid the cost of your sinfulness. His death was in place of your death that you deserve. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? So, what about the resurrection? I believe the resurrection is so much a part of this idea of his the healing is in his wings. It, it, his death is, is significant, but is it significant without the resurrection? You know, let me go to the New Testament, just a couple passages of scripture I'd like to read for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. And 1 Corinthians uh, 15 verse 17, Paul makes a statement amongst all this talk about the resurrection. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You're still in your sins. So we have a, a, a Savior who died upon the cross, but we also as savior, have a Savior who lives today. He is alive. What does that say to you and I? That that, that Jesus went to the cross bearing our sinfulness. But one of the greatest things, he conquered sin, but he also conquered death, which was the punishment, which was the curse upon humanity for our sinfulness. And he was raised from the dead. Paul, again, says in Romans chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he, he, he says, Uh, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. He conquered death. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Then verse 11 says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I, I, I truly believe that if you're not in Jesus, then the corruption of death dwells in you. I believe scripture is clear on that. We, we, are, we, are, uh, we are walking around just dead. That corruption of death is, is working within us. Deserving of his great punishment. But because of Jesus, because of Jesus. And I, I want to make this point. We think about the resurrection. Boy, that's going to be significant. On the day I die, because it says if I'm like him in his death, I'll be like him in his resurrection. Well, it's not just about my death. It's not just about the the great separation, okay, I've got eternity ahead of me. It's about my life today. If if I am living in Jesus Christ, he is living in me. I have life working in me. That's why I go back to Malachi and say, well, what, what is a person who believes in Jesus? It is a person who fears God or has a reverence for God, seeks to honor God with his life. Uh, is a person who lives righteousness and, matter of fact, has the desire to pursue righteousness or even called to holiness. I can't do that. Man, you know all the things I wrestle with in this world. But listen, he gives us his spirit, and he calls us to a different life than from this world. A different life from this world. And listen, our Savior who who lives today, uh, to put away the sinfulness... He died because of our sinfulness. Why would we even consider continuing in our sin? So we live this life of following after Jesus, learning what it means to pursue the righteousness of Jesus, to pursue what is pleasing before God and a life that's honoring to him. Is the resurrection of Jesus significant? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ significant? It just doesn't mean, it's not just for funerals that we talk about Jesus and his resurrection. It's brought up then, but it's worth talking to live people today who are living a life, continuing to face the things of this world, continue to feel defeated by, oh man, such ugliness. If you're watching and, and, and facing you know, the, the great sin of this, this world, man, there is a joy, matter of fact. Before I finish, I want to point this out. In, in, in the last verse, or the last verse I want to share with you, in verse 13, it speaks about frolicking calves. You see that? Uh, calves that are frolicking, you know, the, uh, matter. Of, I talked to Richard Souther a little bit. He said, you know, they're, they're pinned up and they're being fed and you open the gate and they're, Richard doesn't call it joy. He calls it, they're out of control, you know. So I was going to say it's a joy thing, but Richard says it's an out-of-control thing. But, but the last part of the verse says that's the identity of the people who receive the, the healing from his wings. That's the identity. It is a joy that we realize. I don't care what the world has for you. It's going to continue to be ugly. I'll tell you that for sure. Difficulties, finances, uh, whatever, whatever the government is going to happen and, and governments against each other. This world is going to continue to go its direction. And God's going to continue to go in his direction, his purpose, which is to bring together his kingdom. There is going to be that final day. And and everybody, today, today, if you're in Jesus Christ, you know what that joy is. Not because we just have a Savior who died upon a cross, but we have a Savior who lives. He lives today. Do you feel that joy? Do you understand that joy in every circumstance that we have in this life? He has brought us joy. He's brought us joy. Let's let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you uh, for Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we praise you for Jesus each week. The opportunity we have to, to rejoice over the fact that you have given us the opportunity to be identified amongst your treasured possession, it is because you have provided us a Savior in Jesus. You've made it very clear there is no other way, no other way to be identified with you, no other way to be connected with you except through the cleansing blood of Jesus and to to be brought into that place of, of being called your children. It comes through him. So, Father, I pray that you guide and direct us Father, help us, Father, if, if we have that belief that, Father, we're following after Christ and the words he said and the lives that are given to us, it goes so much different than, than this world has to offer. Father, you have so much more, and we praise you for that message this morning. We praise you, Lord, for his resurrection, that our faith is not futile, that, and the fact that our sins are forgiven. Lord, we are dependent upon Jesus and we thank you for him today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.